Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Mixed Motherhood Podcast for another week of chatting about mixed motherhood. We have a fellow podcaster, Christina and Denai, obviously. And um, hi, Christina. Hi, Christina. How is it going today on this? We're actually recording on a Monday. Mondays are hard. Um, I slept through my alarm this morning so that's kind of how my day started but like how's the day going for you I yeah. mean day's going good so far I just want to quickly say thank you both so much for having me on your podcast of it's course. an honor I love what you're doing with the mixed motherhood podcast um I know even in our my own podcast I've had multiple of these conversations with Christina about the differences that we face um, mm-hmm. raising our kids. And she's like, I just don't know what you feel mm-hmm. because for me, I, I'm raising two biracial girls and she's raising two Caucasian kids. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's start there. Tell us more about the podcast. Yeah. So, Christina and I started Single Parent Podcast back in 2021. And we actually met through the same organization, Kaleo Collective. It's a charity that supports single moms in their journey of sort of going from surviving to thriving, essentially. And uh, she had made a post on Facebook, actually, and had asked people for feedback about what kind of topics they would be interested in hearing on a podcast. And I thought initially, oh, my God, she stole my idea. Like, this was on my vision board to start podcasting. (laughs) So I reached out to her and I said, two brains is always better than one. We should go in on this together. And from there, it just went leaps and bounds forward. And we're, I don't know, 50 some odd episodes into podcasting. Wow, that's awesome. Love it, love it, love it. So I know for us, we wanted to focus not just on single moms, but single parents as a whole. We know that the stigma around being a single parent can be incredibly difficult. And Mm -hmm. just that alone you feel like you're in a marginalized community, but then Mm -hmm. you add those layers of like raising biracial children. And that's a whole nother ball game. I'm sure that you ladies can relate to that too. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. 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 That's how I sort of started the podcast. So tell us a little bit more about your family. So you said you had two two kids. I do. Yeah. 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 I have two girls. I have a 13 year old daughter and an almost nine year old daughter. Uh, the nine year old acts more 13 in my opinion, (laughs) but, um, of course they're lively and amazing. And I don't know what life would be without them. And it's funny because a lot of people always just assume that you have you know, you were married and maybe it didn't work out, but that wasn't the case for me. I have two kids from two different dads. Um, Mm. and they are both biracial girls from those partnerships and yeah, they're awesome. I mean, and now we're transitioning into a whole new world because we moved provinces (laughs) from Mm. one very diverse province to one that is not at all diverse. <laughs> so you are in British Columbia right now. I am now. Yeah, we just mm-hmm. recently moved out here. Um, I got a job offer and I sort of went and took the leap of faith and said, we're doing this. And that was a little wild because it's not just my thoughts that had to go into it, but they have 
they have dads too. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. having um, some conversations before it took place and making sure everything logistically made sense. I just wanted to make a point where you said you moved from a one very diverse uh, province, which is Alberta, to a very mm-hmm. non. And I think people usually think the opposite, that BC is more diverse than Alberta, or that Alberta is not diverse at all, but it's actually, you're finding it's quite the opposite. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I remember being in, we were in Edmonton, so it's a big city, and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of different cultures, and I'm not just talking about African or Caribbean, or there was Asian and Indigenous and uh east indian i mean like you name it everyone was there (laughs) and then you come here and it's actually primarily more indigenous and caucasian people that live where i am Mm -hmm. oh okay okay yeah i I used to live in bc too and that's one of the things that i found so i've uh i've been fortunate enough to have lived uh across um multiple provinces so i feel like i have a good frame of reference in terms of um you know, how I felt as a woman of color in, in various communities across the country. And I think um, with BC, it's like everything is ideally so perfect. Like people are 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 really nice. Like uh, it's great weather, which is great for me, African girl. Um, you know, there's <laughs> lots of <laughs> employment opportunities. And I think I was, I didn't really think about race as much until I became a mother. And then when I became a mother, my eyes were kind of opened up into a whole different world of like, okay, this is my life now. And is this how I want to raise my child? And we've talked about this on the podcast before, but um, I found that I was having to navigate um, race and all of the issues that come with race and racism um, through my child, because my, my child was one of very few persons of color in, you know, her classrooms and her sports teams and, and all of that sort of thing. And I could tell that she felt different and she was othered a lot. And we had a lot of conversations about like feelings and, uh, and that sort of thing. And I think it just got to a point where, I needed to be somewhere else so that my daughter could see herself in other people. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. that that's really helped her with her own self-esteem and her confidence. And I mean, I don't know how you have seen that in your girls or like how you're trying to keep that, keep their self-esteem and their confidence where you live. Mm -hmm. That's actually a good question that you posed because I I thought about it a lot before moving and how this would affect her. Um, Mostly my oldest. I knew my youngest would transition quite easily because she gets along with anyone (laughs) regardless of what they might look like. So Mm -hmm. um, for my older one, though, the community that she had developed in Edmonton, she primarily hung out. She hung out with black girls like that was just her vibe. And she knew going to BC, it, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be like that for her. Mm -hmm. And she was worried that she would feel different. And I worried, of course, for her. And I said, how do we ensure that your culture still stays alive and that you can 
empower yourself to teach people um, everything that you know through your own culture. Because I've always made a point, even though I'm not black, as I you can tell when you're looking at me, but for <laughs> the listeners, um, I knew for my kids it was really important to embrace all of their cultures, like whether it be mine or their dad's. And I, I don't know if it was just me or if other people felt this way. And I don't, I don't know if this is a normal feeling to have, but I felt like it was sort of almost, it was my duty as their mom to make sure that they understood their cultures and not just mine, but their dad's. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if there just wasn't as much ownership on their dad's part, but that's how I felt. So I took it upon myself to go and like ask a lot of questions. And sometimes it was like, is it okay for me to ask as a Caucasian woman? Is it okay for me to ask? And so I just, I did. (laughs) I almost (laughs) was ignorant to other people's feelings because my goal was to make sure that my kids knew what their culture was. And it didn't matter who I went through to find that. It was just like, you need to teach me so I can teach them. And if you're not Mm -hmm. willing to teach, teach them then, whether it be grandparents, aunties, uncles, I wanted all of it (laughs) because it's important for them to know where they come from. It's so important. Yep. We actually talked about this in our first episode where, um, okay. We were talking about like how, the burden of this type of socialization and the social education that we give our children usually falls on the the women, the the mothers. Yeah. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, we, I mean, we can only talk about our, our own context, but, you know, I was looking at it from like the African perspective where, you know, African men are raised, um, in such a way that I don't think that they would necessarily know that this is something that they need to teach their children, but also men benefit from social privilege, right? They don't need to, (laughs) they don't, maybe they don't necessarily think that they need to be teaching their children how to navigate some of these complex situations, especially when it comes to race. And, you know, as mothers, I feel like that burden definitely falls on us. So I'm definitely not surprised that you um, are, you know, saying exactly what you know, we've, we've been saying all along is that there is a huge responsibility on mothers mm-hmm. to give that education. And have you, have you found that you are building a network of support in that way? Um. On Vancouver Island or in general? Yeah, in your community. Yeah, my community. Or- That's a really good question. I've been really trying to navigate it. And it's funny because before I moved here, when I was in Edmonton, I self-taught like how to do my kids' hair. And I, I know how to braid because I knew I had black kids that needed their hair braided. I wasn't going to leave it a mess. So mm-hmm. I just went on YouTube one day and I figured it out, but I get lazy. I'm going to be honest. It's not my jam. I don't really enjoy it. I have no patience. So I literally, Amen, sister. Amen. Sunday, Like I want to go shopping. Like It's not okay. So I would rather pay someone to do it. And in yeah. Edmonton, you can easily find people to do it. They're like my neighbor, or like <laughs> just like I would build that. Community. Uh, yeah. So, it's everywhere. You have so many options. 
Oh man, it was, it was hard, but I did find a woman out here, um, who does hair and she was working at a salon and then she's like, Oh, I don't work there anymore. And I said, that's okay. Can you do it out of your house? That's what we're used to anyway. Mm -hmm. We would prefer not to go to a salon because I like cheaper rates. (laughs) (laughs) And also I, um, I think it's just more of like an auntie type feeling that mm-hmm. like, again, mm-hmm. just going to someone's house rather than a salon. Like why, why does she mm-hmm. do that? So anyway, yeah, I, I reached out and I, I researched to find people that I needed to find. Um, and thankfully my oldest daughter has navigated school so amazingly. And, Oh, that's awesome. You know, at first it was tough. And like seeing her like coming home, like they're different than me. I don't know anyone. And she, she wanted to go out on Saturday to this haunted house. And I said, yeah, I can drop you off. Let me talk to your friend's mom first. And we had a conversation and there was two, three girls going, sorry. And I went to go drop her off and the other mom came up to me and she was dropping her daughter off and her daughter was also biracial. And I don't know if it's just like oh, anyone oh, else that feels like so nice. there's someone else and like yeah. people who have biracial kids so, so quickly. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's another one. Yay. Like there's <laughs> someone out here for my daughter. And I felt like she, she felt like I have someone that knows who I am. And and she's come to me several times being in the small community and like the few people that are out here that are, you know, mixed and there's not a lot. She said that, quote unquote, they're whitewashed or whatever the case might be. And she she really relates more to her black side. Like it's just she loves speaking Patois and she loves eating all of the Jamaican food that she can get. And so had to learn how to make everything. Like, and I was like, well, let's learn together. So we like make plantain on Sundays and fried oh, dumpling nice. and try to do all these things to make sure that culture is staying alive, even though her dad is still in Edmonton. I find it interesting how, um, and I'm really happy. And I think, again, I think I mentioned it before that I find that when, um, when I moved to, when I was living in Grand Prairie, I think I, there was one mom I noticed she had mixed children. And I think she kind of looked at me a few times and I thought she wants to ask, she wants to ask something. She wants to say something about her child's hair and she just doesn't know how to approach. And I felt like at that day, Honestly, I was having a really bad day. So I, I didn't approach her, but I really felt bad afterwards. I was like, I should have just said to her, hey, like, did you want to have a, co-? you know, not like that, but just start a conversation with her. But I was just mm-hmm. not in the mood that day. But I could tell she wanted to say, we were at the park and she probably wanted to say like, oh, you know, like hair or how are you? Or just that somebody else for my children, right? There is a connection. I think it's important. It is. It's a, we- it's a weird thing that it's just like a, community you immediately bond because you know that you're struggling with possibly the same things or similar things and you want someone else to talk to who will relate to whatever you're feeling um, and whatever your children are feeling and how they are getting on with with, um, with life because Grand Prairie is not as diverse as say Edmonton. Have you had any um conversations about race with your your kids i mean your kids are older than ours so mm-hmm. um i feel like you're the expert here because you've well, been mowing for so much longer <laughs> i 
wouldn't call myself an expert. Sometimes it's a lot of trial and error. Mm-hmm. Um, however, yes, I, I definitely have had those conversations. More recently, moving um, to BC, we've had a lot of those conversations, and there is racism that's still very much alive. Um, and my daughter had mentioned something that happened in school in the first week, and it was awful. And mm-hmm. it was a conversation that I had saying, is this something you want me to pursue with the principal or is this going to make it worse for you? Cause I need to hear it from her. I wanted her to feel empowered and not for me to like step on her toes because it's her feelings. And she was like, no, I'm just going to wait and see if they say it again, but I will speak up and I will use my voice if I hear someone using any derogatory terms. And I'm really proud of the fact that I've raised her to use her voice. If she hears someone using a derogatory term, either behind her back or whispering about her or right to her face, it's happened many times. And we just had a lot of conversations about ignorance and a lot of conversations with her dad and her grandmother and her aunties. Like we all sort of just band around her and, you know, tell her also try and find people who are like you, who understand what you're going through. And, and she does like, she immediately goes to find people who are very much like her. And today she just told me that she stuck up for one of her friends because they were told a derogatory term and she like almost threw hands with this other kid. I'm like, okay, so we don't condone the violence, however, (laughs) (laughs) but you know, when they're teenagers, they, they're going to be more vocal and they will say what they need to say. Um, my younger one is starting to ask more questions, um, because we're, Her school is predominantly white and indigenous. We live on territory that is indigenous land. Um, And a lot of my friends are indigenous. So I tell her, you know, stick with your homies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And she's asked some questions like, why am I the only black girl in my school? Like there's not one, not no one's like me. And I I said, well, maybe creator or God or Buddha or whoever you believe in, maybe maybe they just want you to be a shining star. Like, I don't know Mm -hmm. what that is for you, but you will see more amongst the, uh, there's going to be more days. There's going to be more schools, you know? And she's like, actually, that's not true. There's one in my school. (laughs) They're younger than me. I'm like, well, you be their best friend, girl. (laughs) you know, and just connect with them. But we definitely have had to have lots of conversation and most of it is around racism and how do we act and do we fly off the handle? Do we have a conversation with that person? Do we tell a superior, like, what does that look like for you? And, you know, every situation is different and I'm sure she's going to make some really good decisions in her life. And then she's Mm going to make some that she might be like, I probably could have handled that differently. But in my opinion, kids are going to do things that way. Anyway, they're going to find ways to navigate lots of different situations. It's not always For just sure. even about race. It's about someone asks you to go and smoke a doobie and you're not into it. She's going to say no. Right. And mm-hmm. she's like, it's peer mm-hmm. pressure. 
So there's so many different layers there that we could really unfold, but speaking. So are both their dads from Jamaica? No. So my oldest daughter, her dad's from Jamaica and my youngest daughter's dad is from Trinidad. So, yeah. So they're both Caribbean though. Caribbean and, you know, their cultures are similar, but very much different. And the food is a lot different in my opinion. Like I've tried to make both and I was like, no, this is different. This doesn't taste the same. I like the other way better or, you know. (laughs) But, and then they fight about what's better, bake or dumpling. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't have this conversation with the two of you. I was like, they're both good. It's both fried. <laughs> it's like Africans arguing about whose jollof is better, like Ghana or Nigeria. Or, and it always, it always it's ends Ghana. in tears. <laughs> Christina, you want us you, to get, you want to get us canceled? <laughs> this is what I was about to say. You're going to get us canceled, Christina. <laughs> Too. <laughs> I'm just For saying, all I'm- of our Nigerian <laughs> listeners, they did not comment on this. <laughs> I never said I would be a quiet one. <laughs> I'm very opinionated, guys. You asked me on your podcast. <laughs> no, but I think it's, um, I'm just sitting here like uh, in awe of you. I, uh, I'm i so happy that you're on this podcast. And uh, I really like that you are very self-aware. And mm-hmm. I think that, um, you know, when you are self-aware and you are raising children who are racialized, um, it can lead to your kids getting the support that they need rather than the support that you think they need. Yes. Yes. Um, and I think even as a black mom, um, I feel like I also make that mistake. Sometimes I feel like I, my child needs this, but then I also need to be self-aware. Um, I also need to understand that her experience is not going to be what I'm experiencing. And, you know, despite how the world looks today, our kids are growing up in an unprecedented time where they are more empowered than they've ever been. And I just love that you are trying to empower your girls and trying to build that um, characteristic or habit in them. I want to hear from you, like, where does that come from? Because it is so refreshing to hear another mom talk about this and it's something that I feel like I need to learn because I don't want uh, my stuff to get in the way of my child experiencing and exploring who she is in her biracial self, you know, mm-hmm. by herself. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Well, a hundred percent. I mean, they have two sides to them, mm-hmm. right? And me and my, my kids have the conversation and my youngest, she'll be the first to say, she's like, I am a proud Trinidadian, Portuguese, and Spanish woman. <laughs> like she'll like flaunt her stuff. And I I think for me though, the way that I'm raising my kids comes from humble beginnings and from knowing that I am no better than the person standing right next to me or behind me or in front of me in the grocery store. I've always wanted to see equality in everything. And that's why I do even what I do career wise. I, 
during the day, I'm a community action program coordinator for parents with kids zero to six. So mm-hmm. I work solely in indigenous communities with inner city youth. And it's so important for me, for my kids to see that I work with communities because I don't want them to feel like we're better than someone or that just because we have maybe a house, we're different than someone who's maybe in an apartment or any of that, right? And I just want them to know that it doesn't matter if you're white, black, green, blue, or yellow. I want them to treat everyone the same way that they're treated. And if it's, if someone's really mean to you, I mean, like they don't, you don't have to respect that person. Respect is earned, in my opinion. So I think just growing mm-hmm. up the way I did and through humble beginnings and the work that I do on the daily and just sort of leading my kids by example has given them the path that they need to make sure that they know who they are. And I've always been really honest with them about who I am and who my family is. And they're, they've always been really open-minded about both sides of their family. And mm-hmm. I, I'm happy to say that. Like I was having this conversation with someone the other day and she said, I raised my son fully indigenous. Like he doesn't know his black side. And then I said, for me, that's like, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's our job though. Like we should be, and I don't want to fault her because maybe that's all she knew. But for me, it was like, I, I need to like know more. I need to investigate their culture. I need to do everything I can do to make sure that my kid has all of the information. They need all of it. I I went on the rant. You might need to edit that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I think this is very interesting, Christina, because there is this discussion in the great, and, and this happens a lot in the black community where mm-hmm. um, there's all this talk about like non-black people raising black people. And the fact that um, if it's not done well, then it leads to a lot of things like internalized racism, lack of self-esteem. There's issues with colorism. Um, there is, uh, you know, like, this obsession with whiteness, I guess. And, you know, it breaks my heart to hear that, you know, somebody is like as a parent that you wouldn't want them to know and understand that side because living in this country and being black um, is very complicated, especially with the history of, uh, you know, you look at our African Nova Scotian population. I just feel like, your child can only grow and improve and just be more self-aware and self-assured if they know all of who they are and, you know, even doing little things. And I I think that you have to try and exactly like you said, you have to try and provide those perspectives. And if you don't know, you seek it out. Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know what it's like to be white, but I don't stifle my children's whiteness um, because, you know, some, sometimes it appears that I'm like, Whoa, what the hell was that? Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, but I, I'm not going to prevent my 
my my children from um exploring that side of them right but i think it's a it's my responsibility as a parent rightly as you've said to Mm -hmm. nurture all of who they are and let them decide you know when it's time how they want to identify Mm -hmm. so i have a question though and and i wonder if this is something you might have faced christina is the whole um what do they call it when you um culture appropriation if you've ever mm-hmm. had that thrown at you like you're being you're cultural appropriating why your children got braids what you know and then oh, yeah. it, to me it's wow right? really it's to me yeah yeah no it definitely it's definitely been a thing I've seen it um I felt it I remember even like when my daughters were really young Actually, and I'll be honest with you, a lot of it came from black women. Black women. And they were like, who did her hair? Did you do that? And I was like, oh, relax. I was like, yeah, actually I did. They're like, okay, fine. You did a good job. And I'm like, okay, the hate. <laughs> like, right? I love you. You know where this <laughs> comes from? <laughs> yes. I have this theory and, uh, I mean, feel free to tell me I'm being completely ridiculous. But I, I hear that a lot too. And... I think it starts when um, when people see you in a relationship with somebody outside your race. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'll give I'll I'll speak about me because that's that's what I can speak of. Like my own experiences. Like people will have preconceived notions about who you are because you're dating outside of your race, and this mm-hmm. is very mm-hmm. apparent with Black women and. It's very apparent with Black women because of the just horrible um, status of dating for Black women. So Black women are less desirable. Um, You know, there's a huge population of really educated, smart Black women who, um, you know, they just, they they can't find a partner, um, not for lack of trying, but because because of how they are seen in society. And I think that there is a lot, there can be a lot of resentment sometimes um, because, you know, I I was having a conversation with a friend who we were talking about dating and I was like, well, have you tried dating outside of like your circle? I didn't necessarily say race. I just said, have you tried dating outside of your circle? Like trying to, um, you know, broaden your horizons a little bit. And she's, she firmly told me, no, I, I could never date somebody who's not black because I don't want the experience of having to explain things to them of like them asking all these ignorant questions and, you know, all this stuff. And I said, but, you know, you can still find love without having to focus on, on that because I've had to teach my husband like a lot of things and <laughs> you know it, it I still feel like I made the right choice by you know taking a leap of faith and and, and dating him and, and having children with him and I think that's where it comes from I think that there is um an like a little bit of animosity when it comes to non-black women who are dating black men because black women feel like um you know, it's like a reminder that, again, they are not desirable to those right. particular men who choose them. And I don't want to say that they are wrong for feeling that way, because it's a very valid 
valid feeling. And, you know, Cookie and I are dark skinned women. We know this all too well. Like it, it is hard to be seen as desirable. And which is crazy to me. Can I just like take a step back? I'm like, I always tell my kids, I'm like, beautiful black queens. Those are so beautiful. And you guys are so amazing. And I can totally see what you're saying. On the flip side, though. Yeah. On my end, you know what I get is if I date a black guy, I usually get, oh, you're going to be a single mom. Isn't that terrible? No. I've had someone posted on Facebook when I had one daughter and she was like, oh, you're probably just going to end up being a single mom because her dad's black and she was black. And she said that, I mean, she wasn't wrong. Cause I did become a single mom. <laughs> this is like the internalized stuff that we as a, uh, as a black community kind of need to target. And, um, yeah. you know, just to kind of take a step back from that, like we all know why black men have a difficult time with relationships is because for a lot of black men, they didn't grow up with the perfect example of, um, a family and trauma. there's generational trauma there's you know we could look at white supremacy the high incarceration rates we could look at um, the um, ad- adultification of black men at a very young age men thinking that they don't need to um, invest in their growth and their understanding because they're adult adultified at a very young age like all these things mm-hmm. but I think that for somebody to actually say that to you, that that to me is just horrible. Like I, I can't imagine a situation where it would ever be okay <laughs> to I mean, say that. Like it there's just... so many things that people say though on both ends that you're just yeah. like, you have to just say that, and you're just like, <sighs> like why? Why are we still there? Like we're still there. Okay. I think it's it's just a it's a personal, almost mm-hmm. a personal projection. It's a projection, right? So she probably said that because right. maybe she's a single mom and realized. But you know what? I mean, this is the thing is we can't always say just black men because I've seen lots of white men be absolute mm-hmm, deadbeats, yeah. right? They're out there, right? So it's you we can't really just say black or white. Sometimes men just be men. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and just, and just be men. That should be the new quote for this episode. Yes. <laughs> men just be men. I'm going to write that down. I, yeah no men are gonna listen to this <laughs> no but I, 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 I don't think we are saying this to trash any side I think that no. this is just how society is like I've even heard things from people who I consider my friends who say things that are super insensitive like you know because mm-hmm. I talk a lot about race on my my Instagram and, you know, I've had people DM me and say, you shouldn't talk a lot about race. Like, think about how your husband feels. I'm like, my husband is the one who's encouraging me to have these conversations because he wants to know. Like, for people to think that they know your relationship or they know how um, your partner is going to behave or react in that relationship is very presumptuous. And, you know, I... I think the assumption is that when you talk about race you're yeah. putting one down to pump the other. But no. I think people forget that you're trying to just come to a conclusion about, you know, close yeah, that it's gap. it's a perspective. Really, essentially, exactly. yeah. And it's just yeah. trying to close that gap. And I think all three of us have different perspectives because, Christina, you've been in a position where you've mm-hmm. had all this diversity. Now you've gone from no diversity to no diversity. And then you're thinking about, okay, 
these two these two girls I've got to do this and I got to think and so like on your on your pardon my French your white side they're very accepting they're very taking your children in and same on the black side I'm assuming because you've said that they had relationship with their grandparents and their aunties and all that so from both sides you're coming together and then you have these people in the middle having all these things to say and it's like mm. you don't realize that I've already not solved the issue, but my children are going to be okay because I've given them two sides to come together with. And I wanted mm. to go back to a mom possibly raising their child as one race or the other. And I, we again, we can't fault her, but I think it comes from a place of, I don't want to have to deal with the other side saying all these things. What if I just raised them like this mm -hmm. and then I just stuck to this because that's all I know and that's what they all they need to know because, you know, but they're doing that child a disservice because when that well, child comes up and somebody sure. says, yeah. where, where are you from? Like, you know, we notice that you're mixed and then they go, well, I have this side and this side, but I know nothing about this side. Um, mm -hmm. It's going to be questioned. Like, why don't you know anything? And it's like, well, this is all I have, right? And a lot of people, they're not taught. And it's it's unfortunate, but if people don't have the resources or they don't know where to find them. So that's a good question. Where do people find resources if they, don't mm -hmm. have, if they don't have a community or a village or aunties or uncles or cousins or grandpa, grandma? Who do they go to? How do they get this information? Because I know for me, like, there was a time when my daughter was really young, my oldest, and her dad wasn't in her life at that point. He is now. Um, but when he wasn't, I remember I dealt with some racism at daycare. And I, I honestly didn't know what to do. Like, I was sort of like, ooh, I don't know mm -hmm. what to say. And so I reached out to one of my black friends and I was like, what do I do? <laughs> like, she was a mom. And mm -hmm. I was like, I need to know from you. Like, I needed to know from that side, because I have privilege and I, I know that I am self-aware. I will never know what my kids deal with day in, day out, but I can empathize and like try and educate myself. So they have the best possibility of like <laughs> success, I guess mm -hmm. you could say. I, I, like that's the best way to put it in my opinion. Cause it's like, you don't want them to fail at like. Nobody wants that. Yeah. Mind, right. And I, I went to friends and I, I asked people, but if someone doesn't have that, like, where do they go? Maybe this podcast would be a good first step, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I, uh, I totally feel you. Um, when I was going through similar things with my daughter's daycare, um, my first in instinct was to ask other parents, but they had never dealt with that situation in that context. Um, so it was kind of hard to figure out a way forward. So uh, I still think that, um, you know, there is value in talking these things out with the people around you, with your village. And there's also value in, in seeking out the opinions of, of people who probably have, a good perspective on things, but it's hard. And again, I said, I say that it's hard as a mother because, you know, there's, you don't want to, you don't want to be so stuck in the weeds that you 
are not able to like move forward. Um, if that makes any sense, like I, I feel like there's certain times where I've told myself, this is not the fight I'm going to have today. What I'm going to do is I'm going to move forward and this is how I'm going to prepare myself or prevent this from happening in the future. Because honestly, I would be, fi- I'd be fighting every day, <laughs> you know, and I, it's not healthy. I think you just, at some point you have to tell yourself, look, mama, you're doing a good job. You're doing the best that you can. Tomorrow is another day. Um, we're going to deal with this, you know, with the help of X, Y, Z. But I don't think that every situation warrants the fight that I had when I was a young mother, the, ooh, the things that I would argue about. But now I'm starting to see that, you know, my kid is okay. Like she is learning to deal with these things by herself. And she's only mm-hmm. six, but like, she'll be fine. I think that there are some things that she needs to experience and navigate for herself yep. so that she can build her ability to fight like her mother. You know what I mean? <laughs> or resilience. It's also just exhaustion. <laughs> like being really, really open and just saying, let's talk about our day and having those round tables at the end of the day. So if there was anything that happened, you're yes. that comfort zone for your kids and you're there to like, be the best support and the, mm-hmm. their cheerleader at the end. Because mm-hmm. I know like just today, my daughter told me that that happened and we were sitting there and I was just, I was like, it's so disheartening that like, it doesn't matter what we do, it's still going to happen. So it's just the question of how do we navigate this? Like yes. what can we do to make it better? And I said, maybe that's just someone that you don't really associate with because the words that they use are not really in your vocabulary and you don't agree with it. So if it's not in your moral compass, like cut them off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You're not sorry. Mm -hmm. Bye. (laughs) You know, like I always say this to my, I said this to my daughter. Um, She had an experience, but I think I might've mentioned it before where a friend told her that somebody said something. Um, And I sort of said to her, well, did you hear it by yourself? Did you hear it with your own two ears? And she was like, no. And I was like, did you even see who this person was talking about? And she said, no. And I said, okay, so two things. Like, number one, if you didn't hear it for yourself, I know it sounds and it's hurtful, and but you and your friend told you. So it's possible that it's true or it's possible that it's absolutely nonsense and she took things out of context. So you got to be careful with that kind of thing. Because like you said, Dana, you cannot fight every day. Like every day, you'll be, you'll be exhausted. Even though I want to cookie, you like every day I'm like grabbing my car keys and I'm like, I'm going to raise hell, but I know I can't. I'm going to that kid's house. I don't like that kid. I, I mean, I've said it I'm like, and I mean, there might've been a few choice words. Like as I talk to my kids, because I've always, yep. oh, I don't like it is. And I'm like, F that kid. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I don't really though. I was like, who's teaching this kid? Like who? I was like, I'm going to go to his parents' house and have a chat. <laughs> Well, this is the thing. It's like at some point you have to realize that you are not going to change every single person's opinion or philosophy. And this is real life. And again, this is something that Cookie and I have talked about because we didn't really have, we never got this tool. We never were taught how to do this as kids. But you just, you develop a sense of um, what is worth it to you and a hundred percent there are days where it is going to be worth it and you're going to be like i will not stand for this this is this is not okay and the other days where you just 
like you said, Christina, you swear up a storm. Maybe you have some wine or something else. And <laughs> <laughs> you carry on. You but carry the other on. Thing, the other right? thing is to remember too, like I was going to say, like I told my, I didn't say this to her, but, and um, to me, like those people, are you ever going to invite them to your dinner table? Are they ever going to come to your table with you? And if not, you have got to, you know, you got to pick your battles. If you, you look mm -hmm. at them and you go, they're going to be those people who are going to call me names and be this way to me. Am I ever going to invite them to my house? No. Am I ever going to go to theirs? No. So I'm going to put that boundary up and say, thank you for your words. That's great. Um, mm -hmm. I may or may not fight you in a couple of days, but for now <laughs> we're good. Right? Like. Really respectful way to teach a six-year-old like I don't know if I went there I was like you just tell them that you're not their friend and walk away <laughs> yeah <laughs> like no that does that does that kid does not need to be your friend and no. that's I love the analogy of like oh is this person coming to your dinner yeah. table like I'm probably gonna use that I'm not gonna lie I learned something today. <laughs> totally <laughs> should well with my like, six-year-old I remember she was upset because somebody called her a poop face And oh, I was like, do you think that you're, do you think that you're a poop face? And then she was like, no. And then, it, and then, like, and then something in her mind just clicked, like, that's right. I'm not, I'm not this, like, this is not who I am. Like, it, it clicked in her head that, okay, mm -hmm. I I don't have to internalize this. No. Right? Right. And, you know, I I found that that's been very helpful because anytime she's, even with her brother, like the two of them fight like, like they're two prisoners on death row. Like, I, I just, I don't understand <laughs> their relationship. But I tell her all the time, like, if he's bugging you, and he's two, by the way, I'm like, if your brother is bugging you, You don't have to put up with it. You don't have to stay there and let him like pinch you or bite you or throw things at you. You can just walk away. You'll have mm -hmm. way better peace if you do that <laughs> than just get upset that this person is abusing you and you're letting it happen. So in her little mind now, she's just, it's starting to click that mm -hmm. she doesn't deserve that kind of behavior. and She doesn't have to put up with it. And that's, people will have different opinions and that's okay. But those opinions do not have to define or determine who she is as a person. Yeah. 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 100%. Because if you think about it, like if you're talking to a friend and they're going to be mean and they're going to be rude and they're going to say those things to you, that one definitely going to hurt mm -hmm. a lot. Because you might have had them at your table, physically and metaphorically had them at your table. You might have had them around your children. But some of those, like it's like in a, in a, in a store, like I was watching a video of a young girl who got really... Um, up in this guy's face because in the gas station he was disrespecting i don't even know if he was disrespecting he was drunk in my mind immediately if the man is drunk don't worry about what he's got to say nothing that he's saying is worth anything just move away um mm -hmm. but this girl got upset was videoing him he's being racist we should call his job and i just wanted to say you know what girl like it's midnight you're in a gas station but it's her something. prerogative just if she wants to do that it's her prerogative <laughs> But I think exactly. like the older that I, the older I get, the more I, I, like, I feel, I feel like I figured out, um, an outlet for that, like constant rage that I have for, <laughs> for things. I'm not a, a naturally angry person. I just, 
uh, I'm very emotional and I um, have a feeling of like, just like a strong sense of like this, where's the justice in this world kind of thing. But my mm. outlet is, you know, I will talk about it on my Instagram and then it disappears in 24 hours and then I'm good. Or I find other ways to to deal with it. But I think when I was younger, I, you know, I wanted to stand up and, and say things and I, I wanted to fix the situation more. But I'm starting to realize that, you know, the world is a big place and people have different experiences and, and different opinions. And yeah, it's... It's just kind but of I know, and I know things. it's her prerogative. I know it's her prerogative. Yeah. I get that. But in my mind, it's like there's really you have to really read the room. There's no, there is no um, talking to a drunk person to make them sane. Whatever they're saying is only going to escalate. So yes, if it was a situation completely different where this person wasn't drunk and they were being belligerent, it was just a yeah. Absolutely. But you have to also read the room and you have to pick. A hundred percent. But people also need to be responsible. I think. Well, I I agree. But I think people also need to be responsible for their behavior when they're in public. So even if you were drunk and you were being racist, you know, you're opening yourself up to whatever the consequences of that are. So if that person reports (laughs) you and gets your job, then you deal with it. That's the social Uh, contract. Anyway, we could go on and on about this. I I mean, Sorry, yeah, you can go somewhere in the middle too. It's like you, if someone's really drunk, it's like, do they mean what they say? But I'm like, if it still comes out of their mouth, they still freaking said it. And I'd probably start raging too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, no, stop talking. I mean, the easiest yeah. solution is to just not be racist. It's just not right. be an a-hole. But, or- but that's the thing is how much of it, how much of it are we taking as how much are we taking as racism or something that's a misunderstanding or um because for example christina came to us we were sitting there right with our kids and she came and she said you know like i like your hair and i just would really like help with my daughter's hair Mm -hmm. some people would go well she's being ignorant why she have to talk about my hair i don't want to talk about my hair who who told her that i know how to do hair and then it goes into a whole thing meanwhile Mm -hmm. she's genuinely just looking for community so there's just there's situations like that. That's like, well, that was ignorant of her. She just assumed that because we have black children, we know how to do hair. No, she noticed that the children she pers- has look like your children and she would like some help. And that's an indication of people's personal life, ex- personal experiences. And, um, you know, I, I think that you, you got to meet people where they are. Some people have had horrible, terrible experiences where they are not at that point yet where they can be gracious and be like, yes, I'll help you. Um, you know, it, it just depends on the situation. I think know that, your audience. Yeah. Know your audience. And I think that you as the person who is approaching oh. that situation, you just need to come up with a coping me- mechanism to say, okay, this person may or may not be receptive of, of what I'm trying to say, but I'm taking the risk to ask. And if they're not open to responding, that's okay too. Right. I'm not going to um, I'm not going to impose a relationship or a conversation on somebody who is just not not there yet. Right. You can usually tell by someone's body language. I don't think I would mm-hmm. necessarily walk up to someone in the park and be like, yo, <laughs> did you do your kids' hair? Because I'd like to get my kids' hair done. Like, I think that's a little rude, no? 
100%. But I mean, I've had a couple of conversations like, so who does your kid's hair? Because I don't want to do my kid's hair because I don't want to do that on a Sunday. Exactly. And there's a tactful way of of asking. Yeah, 100%. It. Like, I think you it's, know, a, like, it's a conversation, I, right? You have to start with the conversation. And some people just jerks. They'll be like, look, I don't want to talk to I you. Go away. And, and then you just go away. Yeah, you just go away. That's <laughs> their... I, I try to win them over with my charisma. I'm like, please be my friend. I'll do my kids' hair if I have to. And I usually say it like that. I'm like, I'll take care of your other kids if you want to do my kids' hair. I'd rather go to the park. <laughs> and that's, that's usually perfect. a win because people they're like, oh, yeah, you want to take my two-year-old? See you later. Like, I will sit here and do hair all day, right? But... What advice would you give to another mother who's maybe in a similar situation to you? Or maybe what advice would you give your younger self? Oh, that's cute. Um, If I had another mom who was going through a similar situation as me, I would say open up your village and Mm -hmm. make sure that you find people who are like-minded and are going through a similar path, whether that be if they're raising biracial kids, um, it doesn't matter if they're black, white, brown, green, or yellow. As long as their kids are biracial, you guys are going to get along great. (laughs) I think in my opinion as well, it would be great if um, you can get the kids together and play and they can see other kids that are like them. Um, And what I would tell my younger self is... um, it's okay to play with the Barbies that look like you and it's okay to play with Barbies that don't look like you. Um, and you don't all have to have like blonde hair and blue eyes to be pretty because when I was growing up, I really struggled with a lot of the community that I was a part of were like blonde or redheads and like blue eyes. And I was like dark hair and like, not that <laughs> like I had big curls and, I just look different. And I remember like playing with Barbies and I remember thinking, I wish I looked like the blonde Barbie. Um, but now I realize that like, I love myself so much and I am so body positive and mm-hmm. I love myself for who I am inside and out. And I, I teach that to my kids. And I think that's another piece of advice that I would give is just um, buy the dolls that look like your kids too. Like make them feel like they're not the only one because that's not a good feeling and talk to them about how beautiful they are. Make them say it in the mirror and talk positively about yourselves mm-hmm. because your kids hear you. Oh yeah. That's such that's a, a good one. one. All right, folks, we will be back with this week's litter. And we're back. Welcome back, guys. And uh, we will get right into our story. 
Hello, Denai Cookie and guest. I am a veteran mom, um, but I have um, but I have some questions about the way I have been approaching raising my biracial children. I have three girls, 15, 17, and 19, and all their lives I've celebrated their boldness and ability to speak up for themselves. And as a woman, I admire, I admire those traits in other women. So I wanted the same for my girls. However, now that they're getting to enter the workforce, I often worry about whether they'll be perceived as the angry black woman when they stand up for themselves or others. I don't want them to be muted, but I also don't want them to suffer as a result of who they are or how I've raised them. Am I overthinking this? This is an interesting letter. Um, so this actually just happened to me uh, a few days ago. I was in a meeting um, with a bunch of people and everybody was kind of, um, you know, discussing the topic and, um, you know, somebody asked me for my opinion on the topic. I gave my opinion based on, you know, how it related to me and, and, and my situation. And the first thing that happened was, uh, a man, a white man, um, completely discounted my, my opinion, my experience. And, uh, basically I felt like undermined in that whole situation. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, why is it that everybody else can have an opinion on something? And I have been asked my opinion and all of a sudden I'm the only one who is experiencing, um, a talk back, I guess. So mm -hmm. I remember sitting in that meeting and thinking, I need to say something. So I unmuted my mic again and I was like, I feel like I was misunderstood. This is what uh, I meant. And that was the end of it. But I remember leaving that meeting feeling like, uh, like less than, right? Like my opinion doesn't matter that uh, my opinion was dumb, was stupid. I felt very, um, uh, what's the word? Not, um, you know, like when somebody does, doesn't care about your opinion, whatever the word is. Um, Yes, I felt like I was just being dismissed. And, you know, it, it's, it makes me angry because we were all there in a similar capacity. We all have, you know, expertise in our field. And I was sitting there and nobody was saying anything. And I just had this rage in me. Like, why, why am I the only one that's singled out like this? And so... Mm -hmm. I was talking to another colleague about it and this colleague is white and they were saying, well, maybe you're just being too emotional about the whole situation. Like it was his opinion. And I was like, that's the whole point. I had an opinion, but my opinion wasn't respected as much as everybody else's opinion. So at what point do I just let bygones be bygones? Um, or do I say enough is enough? Like this is not respectful. And I think that, angry black woman comes from a, a legitimate rage that black women have every single day when they wake up and have to <laughs> navigate this world as a black person. And I talked about this on my Instagram just last week. Like it is so hard to be 
black in this country. And I mean, I'm not saying that it's not hard to be any other um, type of person, but from my perspective, it's hard for people to just not understand how maddening everything is. The, from the moment I put my glasses on to putting my makeup on, you know, I'm reminded that I'm different. Like I look at my foundation <laughs> and it's not matching because it's hard to find foundation for my skin tone. You know, I'm well, I gotta just stop you there and talk to you about foundation and not yes. being inclusive. Because I have been to like every store for this shade of makeup for my daughter. And let me tell you, can't find it. I can't find it. Yeah. And I'm like, her shade is very common. But apparently not out here. It's it's not common. And she came back and into the store with me. And I remember her saying, Mom, why is this not inclusive? My shade is not supposed to be different exactly. than all these white shades. Like, why is mine not exactly. there? And I said, this is something that we need to write into their store about. And, about and I've asked shoppers this before. I've it's actually... Disgusting. I've gone into a shopper's. No, no. Um, and again, this is where this rage comes from. Like I've been into a shopper's. Like when I when I lived in BC, this happened a lot. You would see an image of a black person on the ad, in the on the counter, but the the darkest shade they would have is like maybe three shades darker than peach. So it's yeah. like again, the rage is like I am a woman who needs makeup too. And I am being completely forgotten. And it's like all of these things that I don't think other people realize that we go through that just, um, I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to say get angry with. It's just like something more that we have to deal with. And the way that I rationalize it with myself and hopefully one day with my my daughter is that it's okay to be and angry black women, because this world is messed up. It is so hard to exist in this body, in this country, and not feel like the bold-headed stepchild, you know, mm -hmm. because of everything that happens. And I think people are starting to understand that, you know, um, black women have a legitimate reason for a lot of their their anger, I guess. But anyway, I, I want to hear from you, Christina, and then from yeah, Cookie. No, I'm so glad that you spoke up about this. And I love this letter that was written in. I really like that dynamic to like give feedback on what people are asking. Um, now, my, my experience is obviously a lot different. And I can't say that I have ever received what you felt like with HR and things like that, maybe from a different standpoint, like mm -hmm. from sexual predators or that kind of thing, but not from a racism standpoint. But what I will say on my end of things is I've always said I will be someone's ally and their advocate and to speak up if I feel like something is wrong and I would never let things go unsaid. And I will teach my kids that as well. Um, and if she's angry because there's not the color of foundation that she needs in the store, mm -hmm. she has every right to be angry 100%. for that. And I backed her up. I said, it is, it's bullshit. Why the fuck isn't it in here? Mm -hmm. Pardon my language. Woo. 
Oops. That's okay. That's <laughs> but okay. why isn't it in here? It needs to be. And I remember managing a shop that sold all the beauty things. And it's the same story. They would have this beautiful African woman on the print, just like you're saying in shoppers, mm -hmm. but then they would have stopped and then they discontinued. Let me tell you, they discontinued that shade range for my women who needed it. And I had a customer come in and she said, why is this? I'm like, I don't have the right answer, but I'm going to find it. Mm -hmm. So I went to head office. I wrote in, I'm like, I have angry customers. I'm an angry manager right now because we don't have the shades that we need to be holistic and robust and all of the things. Like, what, what is this? Like, we need to have from A to Z. You can't have from A to H and just stop. Exactly. Like, it's absolutely absurd to me. And I'm angry for you. It actually makes me so mad. And it makes me rage inside. Because if people don't have what they need, how is that fair? That's not equal. That's what I talked about earlier. Is I want equality. I want mm -hmm. that so badly for everyone. And what is it going to take to get there? It's people need to start using their voice. They need to educate people around them. If they see something that's not right, be that angry black woman. If even yeah. if you're a white woman, be that angry black woman. Be there. Be an ally. Be like, that isn't right. And step up. I just got weird looks when I was like, yeah, that's not right in the store. You just got and weird people, looks? Really? Yeah, like weird looks. And I was like, yeah, we won't be shopping. You know what? Anymore. I'm not surprised. I was in... Um, a a clothing store i will not name it but no names maybe after the podcast i'll tell you but <laughs> i i was looking at at some like a display with like like skincare products and i put my cell phone my own cell phone in the pocket of my coat just so that i could have both hands free free just And I decided I didn't want to get anything. Um, you know, sometimes when you go into a store with every intention to like make your credit card or your debit card scream, but there's nothing that <laughs> you want to buy. <laughs> I was having that day. I was like, there's nothing I want to buy. I'm going to leave. As I was yeah. leaving, I was stopped by a store associate who said that she wanted to check my pockets. So now ordinarily I wouldn't have a problem with this, but I was just like weirded out. I'm like, Can I ask why? And then this, this woman who probably was, couldn't have been more than like 21 or 22 was like, well, she said that another customer had seen me put something in my pocket. And so I was like, what? Put something in my pocket. Like then I put my hands in my pocket. And I'm like, Oh, you mean my phone? And then she's like, well, I still need to check your pockets because she said that you were looking at like hair products and you put something in your pockets. Now, mind you, oh. this is happening at the door. So everybody was so lining up to pay for their shit, pay for their stuff. And people who are coming in are observing this interaction. I wasn't pulled to the side. I wasn't given the benefit of the doubt. They just said, we need to check your, your pockets. So it was so humiliating to be standing there as you know a 30 something woman who you know makes good money and could have afforded to buy something instead of steal it but just to have somebody like tell you that they need to search you so i had to stand there while they searched me that i had to open my purse um and then at the end of it they're like okay you can go no apology no um 
That's disgusting. I hope you broke you know? that come. And that's I, not I, even policy. You could have been like, no, you can't check me. And Bye. I mean, at, at that point, I was just so angry. Right? Ugh. I was so angry. I was like, I don't know. It, it was, and at the time I was dealing with postpartum. So I there was like another layer of like, like, why is this happening to me? And I came home. I didn't tell my husband about it. I just kind of kept it inside. But that anger that I felt, that humiliation that I felt, it just kind of festered and festered and festered. And what made me angriest the most is that nobody said anything. Like a manager didn't come and say, hey, let's do this on the side, like right at the doorway. There was no apology. They didn't say, you know what, sorry, ma'am, it looks like it was just a misunderstanding. They assumed that I did something and made a judgment and did not acknowledge like how harmful the optics of that is. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody wants to get searched anyway, but it's just like I'm the only black person in the store. This is how it felt for me. It's like I'm the only black person in the store and I'm being accused of stealing when I don't have to steal, right? So... Mm-hmm. Well, I could tell you, first of all, that's disgusting. Second of all, I was in retail management for so long. And the fact that they asked you to do that is atrocious. It's not how you're supposed to deal with shop thieves, even though you weren't stealing. They assumed, if they even assumed, they could have just been like, oh, did you want me to leave it on the counter for you? Like... That would have been a little bit of a nicer way to go about it if you assumed that someone was stealing. But this girl was like, young, so I don't know. I, you know, I don't know if just. And I mean, she could have been the store manager. I don't know. She just no. We're not making me. excuses for her. But I just no, like excuses. I, you know, when it was happening, I was like, I thought she was kidding. I was like, what? I would just you like, know, you know, you know what joking. I, you know what I pictured doing in that moment is being a complete three-year-old and being like, take the damn coat, take the damn purse, give me my keys, I'm out of here. I would have just thrown it at them and but been then, like, I ain't got time for this right now. But then, Cookie, you become that person that's on the local news <sighs> that made a scene. You became the angry black yes, woman. Yes, you, you become the trope. You become the angry person. Even though I was well within my rights to feel angry, and humiliated and you know all of those emotions and it's just crazy that nobody said hey like are you not gonna like apologize to this woman for like making this assumption no or even the person who told the associate to be like hey look i thought i saw you put something in your coat turns out it was just your phone i'm sorry no nobody's ever gonna do that not until you bring it up. But this is the thing. Yeah. I and now like every time there's, I there's drive a... past, and this happened in Kelowna, but like every time I drive past this chain of stores, I relive this memory. And I, mm-hmm. I'm to the point where I like, do I leave my coat in my car just in case? Because I don't want to be, you know. I felt like that when I've gone shopping though. Like if I look a little like or like mm-hmm. you know sometimes I go in my sweats I don't want to get dressed and I just want to go shopping you know like I want to go to home sense yes and they look at you funny like because you're looking like a little bit of a you know <laughs> meanwhile <laughs> the other day <laughs> at um I was at Dollarama and there was like maybe four young boys and to me I get scared I, teenage boys scared the crap out of me I just they scare me and they were there you just relive your, and- your teenage trauma <laughs> 
and <laughs> and this lady is you could the four of them are like yeah no we paid for this we paid for this and i'm like as the store owner as a store manager in that moment i probably would have just been like i can't get into it i can't they were all white boys and she just sort of put her hands up like can you come back and pay for what you took and they were screaming at her we paid for it we paid for it and mm-hmm. it, it was just in that moment, I wanted to call them back and be like, don't be absolute douches. If you paid for something, come back and prove that you paid for it. Why yeah. are you walking away as she's trying to approach you, right? But it just, and this woman was Indian. And so these white boys were screaming at this Indian woman. And she's probably going, I I don't know. What do I do? Do I leave it alone? Do I just let it go? Stalarama. But at the same time, maybe it's her store and it costs money to get pe- when people steal stuff, right? And Cookie, there is the other element of this and the element of safety. Like you have to think yes. about... Um, whether expressing your anger or your frustrations, which, by the way, could be a hundred percent like legitimate valid. and valid, mm-hmm. but you have to think of your safety. It was like seven o'clock at night. I had to walk across the parking lot by myself. Am I going to make a scene and you know have to walk across the parking lot by myself? I don't know. Um, you know, you don't know. I think when you are a racialized person, you have to think about you have to think about that as well. Like, and I'm not just Mm -hmm. talking about like physical safety, there's mental safety. Like Mm -hmm. imagine if I had acted a damn fool and (laughs) thrown things around and just be like, you pieces of whatever, you know, (gasps) how I would have been portrayed in the media and what the Mm -hmm. the harm that would have have been done to the community. But there's also things like, economic safety i could probably have lost my job if i had acted a fool in there right because you don't know how your employer is going to view your you don't reaction know yeah and whatever. or you know just not want to be associated with that so there's like all of these things that you have to navigate and i think for me my anger comes from the fact that no nobody else is doing this nobody else is thinking about this in the moment People are, are just allowed to have, like, especially when it comes to uh, white women. No offense, Christina. But I'm just saying, like... No, I'm not. No offense taken. <laughs> I was about to say, white women? <laughs> I feel like They're white so women are afforded the opportunity to be in their feelings. You know, I use this term with my six-year-old all the time. Are you in your feelings right now? And I feel like white <laughs> women are allowed to be in their feelings. They can be emotional and um, express their feelings because people tend to react differently when, you know, white women are engaging in like when they're crying and, and, and that sort of thing versus when a black woman is crying, which by the way, would never happen. (laughs) I don't think a black woman would cry in public, but you know what I mean? Like, it's just... We can't afford to. Yeah. She's really acting a fool, maybe. She'd be like a super Karen, maybe. Maybe then she cried because she's so embarrassed that she acted like the white Karen. <laughs> yeah. Like, I was in a meeting once where we were talking about... Um, it was like a crisis meeting. We were meeting about a, a, a crisis. And there was a woman who was in that meeting who just couldn't believe that this was happening. And she just started crying. <laughs> And I was like, okay, I, I I understand that this is probably very hard for her to hear and that, you know, this is very upsetting. But imagine if I was the person who had been crying, crying yeah. and how I would have been perceived. And then all of a sudden it became about her and her emotions and how she was feeling. 
versus the crisis that we were dealing with that had really nothing to do with her. Oh my and it's goodness. just like, again, the anger that you have <laughs> at, like, anyway, I could talk about, maybe this is a my theme for your feelings, girl. Cry it out. In your next meeting at work, just give yourself a little cry. <laughs> See what happens. Just get like maybe tell a really sappy story and then cry. Just cry. And then just like, oh, that was really emotional. And they'll love you even more. And it's like the world stops. And I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to any of our white sisters who are listening, but I just I feel like there is a different standard. Um, with how we process, like how black women process their emotions versus how other women mm-hmm. process their emotions. Like we mm-hmm. just cannot do that, especially in a public setting because of all of those elements of safety that I talked about. And I think that contributes a lot. So when I listen to this letter, I'm like, I don't want my kid to feel like she cannot grow up to express her own emotions. I mean, she does enough expressing of her emotions right now <laughs> so it's hard to imagine that she would be in a position where she didn't doesn't feel like she has to but we are perpetuating this culture in our you know kids currently because we are telling them that you need to be strong that you need to um you know take the high road that you need to you know stiff up a lip and all that sort of thing but you know, that may not, not necessarily be the narrative that other people are telling their kids. And to me, that also adds to the the frustration. Cookie, I want to hear from you. What are your uh, thoughts? I don't think that she's overthinking it. I think she's definitely mm-hmm. on the right. She's got her mind. She's trying to, she's got that internal conflict and trying to piece things together. And I get it. She's She's done a good job. Much like yourself, Christina, in teaching her, teaching her children, her girls, that they need to stand up for themselves. But she probably and the self awareness that she realizes that wow, this could be perceived um, mm-hmm. that proverbial angry black woman, and I don't want them hurt in that way because I still want them to stand up for themselves. But how do I protect them? There's no protection she can give them. Really, she has to almost let it happen and let them figure out how to work that through their own experiences, but they have to have the experiences. I've had a few people say to me, you have to let your children, like you said the night earlier, have to let your children have these experiences and let them mm-hmm. uh, work it out. Almost you need them to have those street smarts, right? You need them to have um, some something to, to come from, something to go forward with and be like, I've experienced this before and this is how I dealt with it last time. And yes. this is how I'm going to deal with it now, right? And instead of, I had this happen before and mom came and did this. Okay, well, what do I do? I call mom. But no, it's, I've had this happen. This is how I dealt with it. And if it keeps happening, then how am I mm. going to continue to deal with it? Um, at some point, maybe if I'm going to throw hands, then I need to get mom to come. But at this point, I need to kind of figure out how to do that. So I don't think she's overthinking it. I think she's thinking about no. it in the right frame of mind and just needs to um, be able to have those conversations with her children to say, you still, you still go forward. Um, yeah. But also, pick what hill you want to die on. And kudos to her for raising such self-aware, like strong women. Who, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, folks. We will be back with this week's news.
We are back everybody and this week our news story is about code switching. So in our article today we're going to discuss code switching and how it's used as a coping mechanism whether it's at work or at school or if you have to assimilate to your environment to be able to fit in around you. So we have this article which will be linked in the show notes. It's an article from CBC and it talks about a Jamaican mother who lives here in Canada um, and she's describing how her own daughter has begun to speak like uh, her classmates. Um, and she's, um, you know, asking her why she's doing this. And uh, her mother realizes that she is changing the way that she speaks or code switching um, as a coping me- mechanism. So essentially to survive school life. Um, because I, I think they live in Quebec. That's what the story says. So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on this? Because this is very interesting. This mom has really observed a, a change in the way that her child talks, and she's kind of questioning um, questioning that a little bit. So, okay, when it comes to code switching, for me, I kind of looked at it from the comedy standpoint, but she's bringing up a, a, you know, a quite, a, quite a good point here. I think... I think almost white and black people do it. There's certain ways that, like I've noticed even with my boss, when she's mm-hmm. speaking to other people, she speaks differently to them. Like when she's speaking to, obviously when you're speaking to dignitaries or, or veteran, you know, mm-hmm. general, surgeon general, sergeant general, whatever, she's going to speak in a certain way. When she speaks to me, it's completely different. And not because it's not because I'm black, but just because she's speaking to somebody she considers a coworker, right? Mm-hmm. And I did cold switch on her one time, but like majorly cold switched and I didn't mean to, but it just, it just happened. And then she was just like, oh, I don't think I've ever quite heard it said like that. <laughs> and I was just like, it felt, I felt bad because I didn't mean to, it just kind of came out of me because I meant to say like, oh, I said that very confidently, but I'm not sure that's the right answer. But I said, you know, oh, I just said that with my whole chest and I'm not sure that's the right answer. And then she was just like, Sit it with your whole chest. What does that mean? You know, but like, mm-hmm. I didn't mean to do that, but it came out. And but I find there's definitely a different way that she speaks to to other people than when she speaks to me or speaks to somebody else who she thinks is a coworker on the same kind of thought process. So, in terms of her child, I think she's her child is trying to assimilate, but not in a. I wouldn't say necessarily should be looked at as a neg. It can be a negative, but she already looks different. So maybe she's just trying to be less different. Does that make any sense? Mm-hmm. I don't think it's negative per se. Um, I, I know that I grew up, I think we all did growing up. In we Zimbabwe. code switched. Yeah. We code switched all the time. Like it was just a way of life. Our parents code switched when they talked to you at home versus how they talked to you in front of your yes. teacher or other people. <laughs> I um, <do. laughs> you know, and I think there's, there's a couple of things at play. The first thing that I think it has to do with uh, remnants of colonialism um i think that there is a proper way that people are expected to you know converse whether it's at work or in more professional settings and i think that is something that comes from like colonialism growing up we were taught that you had to speak english and you had to speak it really well and you had to like get rid of whatever accent you had and that involved a lot of code switching and that is 
you know, that's colonialism, right, at play. The other thing that I think is happening is it's a coping, it's a coping mechanism, because if you already look different, so if you are a person of color, you're already hyper visible. You probably don't want to stand up or be othered more. So you, the easiest thing that you can change is how you speak and how you dress. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like that helps you assimilate a little bit easier than, um, you know, doing something more drastic, like changing your hair or, or whatever. So that's kind of how I, I kind of look at it. What about you, Christina? Yeah, I think, uh, at every sort of different aspect of people's lives, they're going to code switch, like whether it be you're with your friends or you're, mm-hmm. you're with your superiors at work. Like I would talk to my boss and I still will talk to my boss in a different way than I talk to my coworkers, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not necessarily because I'm trying to be someone that I'm not, but it's because I'm trying to present myself as professional as yes. I can mm-hmm. be <laughs> around the big bosses. But um, I've seen my daughter code switch and I've seen her do it when she went to school and one day like she had actually let me rewind here she went to toronto with her dad for like six weeks this summer she came home and she was like full-blown speaking patois and i was like whoa who are you <laughs> it happens <laughs> She was like, yo, walk on. And I'm like, oh, like, I'm like a little taken aback. <laughs> it's also being you? immersed in the culture, right? Yes, like I'll yes. never forget. Uh, and Lara, if you're listening, hey, shout out. Um, there was a girl that I went to high school with who went. So we were in a, we did French in high school. She went to France for like a month. She came back and she was for all intents and purposes. French. <laughs> and we were just all amazed at how being in an environment, even for that short amount of time, can really um, impact and influence yes. behavior. And I think that's kind of what's going on here because it's so easy for especially kids to make fun of you mm-hmm. because of the way mm-hmm. that you speak. So for a lot of kids, um, that's the first thing they change. It's, just, it's like it's they start the talking like everybody else, right? It's Bible, exactly. Bible. Yeah, I mean, there's um, um, there's a there's a news anchor I follow, and she does that. Like she, she when she talks on the news, because she she was like, "You guys, I don't like this is not my normal voice. This is news mm-hmm. voice." And then she spoke mm-hmm. in her own like, and everybody's like, "Wow, you sound like two different people." She's like, "Because I I can't speak like this on the news. Like, come on, like you won't be able to understand what I'm saying if I was to speak the way exactly." I and I work with, with Newfoundlanders, right? And, you know, Newfoundland <laughs> English is so fascinating to me. Like, just... Sorry for <laughs> laughing. I love my Newfies. I just want to shout out some Newfies. Like, <laughs> honestly, hand to God, Newfoundland has my heart. Like, I I just find everything about Newfoundland culture so fascinating. And I see it all the time at work, too. Like, I'll be having a conversation with somebody, and then they'll switch into, like you know, deep towdy accent or a bay accent. And I'm like, this is this is so amazing that this is the same person that I was talking to like mere seconds ago. Um, and again, like in, in that particular place, that code switching evolved out of like colonialism being proper and um, the stigma of having that kind of accent and being seen as, 
you know, something negative. It's kind of like how Southerners in the U.S. have that that Southern drawl, that Southern twang that is maybe seen as less country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's seen more as like being more country or, or whatever compared to somebody who has like a, you know, a George Clooney accent, right? So right. I think people do it to fit in. They do it for survival. But um, I think especially in Quebec, it's also so that you could be understood. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, it, it can be hard to speak a language but don't speak it you like know, everybody else and then have difficulty being understood. Sorry, go ahead. Newfoundlanders actually do code switch. If you tell them, like if you meet a Newfoundlander here in Alberta, they normally speak they, they speak mm-hmm. a certain way. But because I, we lived in Newfoundland for so long, you can catch the accent, even mm-hmm. if they're not necessarily trying to, if they're really trying hard to slow it down or change it. At the moment you say, oh, I lived in Newfoundland forever, they just immediately go into that accent and they, they and you're going to yes. understand them. They so they go they code switch because it's more comfortable for them to sound like that mm-hmm. or to speak like that. And they feel comfortable with you must know what I'm saying because you've lived there before. And it's like, yeah, I can understand you. So you don't need to put on an accent for me. Just mm-hmm. be you, right? Exactly. The same thing happened I love in the East Coast accents. I'm like, oh, my sister lived in New Brunswick and like she totally code switched when she lived there. I was like, who are you and when did you get this accent? <laughs> she started like, saying, what is happening? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now it's gone because she's in Ontario. I'm like, where'd the accent go, you liar? <laughs> yeah, and I feel like, so I talk to people for a living, right? So I, I, I and, you know, I have to have really complicated conversations like with all kinds of legal stuff so uh i find that i have fallen into this code switching too depending on who i'm talking to um, so that they can understand what i'm saying so it definitely is there's there's definitely an element of survival there um i don't think it's necessarily bad i think it's when you assume um an identity that's not authentic to yourself (laughs) Yes. yes Yes, that's when it becomes mm-hmm. concerning. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Because if that's yeah. when it becomes unhealthy, and you've sort of exactly like if yes. my um, if my six year olds developed like a um, I don't know uh, a German accent, you know that that <laughs> not that I'm saying being having a German <laughs> accent is bad. I'm just saying it would be unusual, right? Yes, it's it's. <laughs> That would be concerning to me because, you know, what what's the correlation here, right? <laughs> yeah. But any my children have have, have, um, have very weird, strange accents. I find a lot of people say to me they have because they picked up some words from me when I code mm-hmm. switch. They pick up those words, mm-hmm. and then they pick up words from when their dad code switched back to Nufi. So mm-hmm. like, there's so many things going on that some of the words were like, "What was that? Like, what is that word? Like." It's just it's just coming and going, right? And so I wouldn't be surprised if um, at school they code switch a little bit to kind of figure out where to go with what they're saying, so people can understand. Them. And I think it's probably a sign of intelligence. Don't quote me; I'm not like a psychologist oh, or anything. But being able to mm-hmm. like understand that the the way that you're like you need to switch the way that you're speaking. I feel like that there's a lot going on in your brain to be able mm-hmm. to like turn mm-hmm. that you know on and off, but this is a very fascinating um, 
topic and maybe we'll get in an expert one day to to really talk about this and the impact that it has on yeah (laughs) exactly all right folks we will be back with the saddest part of the show where we have to say goodbye always so sad all right we'll be right back Thank you so much for joining us today, guys. And uh, we want to give a huge shout out to Christina, and she will give us thanks, Christina podcast. If you want to just shout it out, and we'll put her podcast in our um, on our Instagram and in our podcast notes. Um, Christina, just mention what your podcast it podcast is. Yeah, it's at Single Parent Podcast uh, on Instagram. You can find her handle at single.parents.podcast and on Facebook it's just single parent podcast we're on Spotify Google Apple Podcasts anywhere that you listen we are on the platforms well thank you so much for joining us Christina thank you (laughs) thank you both for allowing me to join you today I really enjoyed just listening to your perspectives and um, sharing my own. I always love to share. I don't know how to shut up sometimes. So <laughs> I I really enjoyed chatting with both of you. And if anything, I, I learned some new techniques. And if I can add more tools to my own tool belt, like it's a win. And mm-hmm, I yes. appreciate both of you for what you're doing. It's amazing. And I cannot wait to shout you guys out on yes. my own <laughs> Thank, thank you so you, much, Christina. You. I really enjoyed this. It was so fun getting to know you. And yeah, I feel like we I feel like we've been besties for like a long time. <laughs> no, we're gonna have to connect. Yes. And we'll definitely have you back um for another episode. Thank you so much, guys, for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. The mixed motherhood pod is written and produced by Nanae Belanger and Kudzai Chimanakire. All musical credits belong to Epidemic Sound. Follow us on all platforms at Mixed Motherhood Pod. See you next time.